We are continuing in our series on the founding of America. There are so many different views on the founding fathers of America. And the question is, were they Christians? Were they true believers in Jesus Christ? Or were they deists? We've looked at the Puritans and the Pilgrims and the church in the early colonies. But what about the founding fathers? And then there's the question about slavery. Today we're going to look at the life of one of the Founding Fathers of America and answer those questions. I can't believe another week has passed. I'm so thankful to God that my client basis is growing. I'm editing more and more podcasts. And I'm also really glad that my office is in a sunroom so I can sit here and I can see the beauty of the summer all around me. I've also enjoyed getting some gardening done as well. I really do love summer. I also wanted to tell you that this podcast was listed in a top 10 church history podcast list called Feedspot. I'm really honored to be on their list, and I really hope you're enjoying this and that it is one of your top 10 podcasts as well. Also, remember, if you want to support this podcast, you can do that by checking out my Etsy page. I have some great mugs on there. And they have really cool church history quotes on them. All right, welcome back to Church History. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens. Let's start where we left off. One of the questions that we have today is, were the founding fathers of America Christians? While we've talked about the Puritans and the Pilgrims, we can see the strong Christian influence. The question still arises, what about the founding fathers? And were they Christians? Now, they did believe in God. That is clear. But were they deists or Christians? We've talked about deists in the past here on this podcast. They believe God created the world and then just stood back and let everything run its course. Deists don't believe that God interacted in the past or in the present or in the future with mankind. We also have to remember that it's unfair to judge a person based on one moment in time. You can find writings by a person from the past and then assume that was everything that they believed for the entirety of their lives. Now, we would not think that about a person living today. We understand that each of us holds different views and ideas throughout our lives. So why don't we allow the same thing for the people in the past? Today we're talking about John Adams and his son, John Quincy Adams. These two may be my favorite U.S. presidents, if a Canadian is allowed to have a favorite U.S. president. Which makes me really surprised that John Adams is the only one of the founding presidents that doesn't have a statue in the Capitol. Alright, let's look at these men and find out why I like them so much. Now, as I tell the story, a few times I'm going to point out what William Wilberforce was doing at that time. The two men lived at the same time, and they both opposed the slave trade. I will give details of William's life just to give you a context. You can learn more about William in the three episodes I did on him right here on this podcast. In 1735, John Adams was born in Massachusetts on October 30th. John Adams grew up in a Puritan home. He attended a congregational church, and based on his church and home he grew up in, we know that John, at the very least, had a foundation of Christianity. As Adams grew into a man, he began to question the foundations of his faith. He began to question the deity of Jesus, and he questioned the Trinity. 
He began to identify more as a Unitarian. However, he also spent a lot of time with the Quakers, and it was under their influence that he came to see slavery as immoral. While this seems obvious to us now, this was in a time period where slavery was in every country and was being used to grow brand new economies like the sugar industry. In 1763, Adams started writing for a local newspaper under a false name. He had some controversial ideas, and he was a very gifted writer. One year after he started writing, he married a girl named Abigail Smith. Abigail Adams, at the very least, had a strong Christian values and ethics. If you judge a Christian by their fruit, it would seem that Abigail Adams was a very godly woman. She raised five children that Abigail and John had together. One of them was John Quincy, who would follow in his father's footprints. John and Abigail attended the first parish church, and they not only attended, but they were really active members. Throughout their life, as they were both influential, not only in the founding of America, but on the world political scene, they still remained part of this first parish church. In 1766, John Adams had a visit from his cousin Samuel Adams. Samuel had joined a secret society called the Loyal Nine. They were spreading propaganda about forming a new country and freeing themselves from England. But things got out of hand when a stunt they pulled with some dummies they hung from a noose created a mob that broke out and attacked homes. We talked about this in a past episode. The Loyal Nine needed help to rebrand their image. John Adams was a lawyer at this time, and he agreed to help them. He helped them form the Sons of Liberty, a group that began the War of Independence. Although John Adams was not formally part of either the Loyal Nine or the Sons of Liberty, he was very influential in the group, and that is why it came as a shock when he defended two of the most hated men in the country. It all started on a very cold night, March the 5th in 1770. A young, low-ranking soldier named Hugh White was guarding the Custom House on King Street. The people had started to see the soldiers as there more to control them than to keep them safe. Somebody started mocking Hugh White, and soon a mob had gathered around the young man mocking him. Some even began to threaten him. Hugh was surrounded by this mob, and he used his bayonet on his gun to fight back. The colonists then began to throw snowballs, and then they began to throw ice, and then stones. Things were escalating. Then someone started ringing the bells in town. Now this is what people did in the case of an emergency. It was like the town fire alarm. Hugh White fell, and things got even worse. Soldiers heard what was happening, and they came to his aid. Inside of the home he was guarding was the king's money, and it was to be guarded at all costs. More soldiers came running, and more colonists came running. The mob was growing. Some colonists saw the escalation and knew they needed to calm things down, so they pleaded with the soldiers to please not shoot and allow time for the mob to settle down and move on. But the mob wasn't settling down, it was growing. Now they had clubs, they were still throwing rocks, but now they were hitting with clubs as well. The fire bells ringing caused more concern, and someone, at some point, yelled fire. And then, a soldier fired his gun. 
That led to the other soldiers shooting, and they killed five men. One of those men was a man named Crispus Atkus, a black man who was fighting with the colonists. It was so chaotic, and the soldiers believed they had been ordered to shoot. The soldiers were arrested, and everyone wanted to see them hang. In a shocking turn of events, John Adams agreed to represent the soldiers, and then he won the case. They were found not guilty. Now this says something about his character. One, he was anti-slavery at a time when that was an unimaginable stance to take. And two, he represented the law enforcement that everybody wanted to see hung, and he won. In 1774, Adams joined the First Continental Congress. One of the things the Founding Fathers agreed on was the separation of the church and state. Adams believed that the government corrupted religion. Adams believed the belief in God was essential to a civilized society, and he wasn't trying to take God out of the country, but trying to take the government out of the church. He wrote in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, Without religion, this world would be something not fit to be mentioned in polite society. I mean, hell. He was saying, without religion, this world would be hell. It was John Adams that was sent to France to negotiate a treaty of alliance. It was this aid of the French that gave the Americans the help they needed to win the war. John Adams was then sent to be an ambassador for this brand new country and to convince people to see America as a legitimate country and not a joke. He was so professional, and he carried himself in such a way that he commanded respect. In 1789, Adams became the vice president under George Washington. He was part of the Federalist Party. To help put context to this story, this was just two years after William Wilberforce became a Christian and started his work as an abolitionist. Adams wasn't as passionate and single-minded about the end of slavery as William Wilberforce was. Adam believed the change would come slowly, and the key was changing the hearts of people, and the key was not making laws. Adams was also distracted by some major events at this time. America was a new country, and was seen as weak. They had won a war with Britain, that was impressive, but they still didn't have a military power that the other nations had, and there were countries who wanted their land. During this time, the new country was met with its first international crisis. Pirates. In 1796, the same year William Wilberforce almost passed the bill banning the slave trade, but failed thanks to some free tickets given to people to convince them to skip the vote, Adams became the second president, and the next year, George Washington died. During his time as president, Adams issued national calls to prayer. There was a time when it appeared America was going to go to war with France. He declared that the whole nation would have a day of prayer, where they would be humble fast and pray. The war was averted and never happened. This is just one of the reasons to believe that Adam at this time was contemplating his views on Christianity. The weight of the presidency, the love of this new country, all showed him that he needed God's help. When Thomas Paine wrote a criticism of Christianity, Adam replied with this, The Christian religion is, above all the religions, that ever prevailed or existed in ancient or modern times. The religion of wisdom, virtue, equity, and humility. Obviously, Adams knew that he needed God, and he knew that the nation needed God. 
You couldn't even find the hoops you would have to jump through to try to get to the point where you would believe that Adams did not believe in God. One year after the marriage of William Wilberforce to Barbara Spooner, the crisis between the pirates and the Americans escalated. It was the year 1798. Cargo boats had been taken, and the American sailors had been taken as slaves to Libya. It started in 1785 when ships were taken and the sailors were forced into slavery. At first, America paid the ransoms under George Washington, up to $25,000. But it was becoming clear that the U.S. needed to end the problem. The sailors, who had been taken, were castrated, tortured, forced to convert to Islam, or be held as slaves for the rest of their lives. When Adams tried to negotiate with Libya, he found that the Muslim countries still thought themselves at war with Christianity, and they saw America as a Christian nation and that they were at war with. To the Muslims, the Crusades were still going on. So Adams bought a Quran, and he began to read it and study it. He came to see that there was no negotiating with the pirates or with the Muslim nations. He realized America needed a U.S. Navy. So he created one. On March 28, 1786, John Adams wrote about this issue. We took the liberty to make some inquiries concerning the grounds of their persistence to make war with a nation who had done them no injury, and observed that we considered all mankind as our friends who had done us no wrong, nor had given us any provocation. The ambassadors replied that it was founded on the laws of their prophet, that it was written in the Quran, that all nations who should not have acknowledged their authority were sinners, that it was their right and duty to make war upon them wherever they could be found, and to make slaves of all they could take prisoners, and that every Muslim should be slain in battle was sure to go to paradise. Adam saw the problem of being at war with a nation that believed the way to heaven was through killing, and that believed it was their religious duty to be at war. This was the first enemy of America, and in a few weeks we're going to revisit the story and dive into more details about it. But after this first enemy came the second enemy, France. It was that same year John Adams created the Alien Sedition Act. France was looking like it was going to attack America. He would not allow French to become American citizens, and he made it a crime to speak out against the American government. Adams knew how propaganda worked. He had helped with the Loyal Nine and the Sons of Liberty. He knew how easy it would be for France to set up groups and convince people to take up arms against the American government. People really did not like this law. And in the next election, he lost to Thomas Jefferson. That was the year 1800. His son would continue his legacy, both politically and more importantly as an abolitionist. While John Adams believed that slavery would end, he believed America needed time to get to that point. His son, John Quincy Adams, believed it was a priority and they needed to force it to happen immediately. In 1825, John Quincy Adams became the sixth president of the United States. But it was actually kind of complicated. You see, there was a three-way tie. Andrew Jackson, Henry Clay, and John Quincy Adams. And Congress chose John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams believed that he would be able to end slavery in America. The abolitionist group was growing, but as they grew stronger, the push to keep slavery legal also began to grow stronger. In 1826, John Adams died at the age of 91. 
He died the same day as Thomas Jefferson died, and it was on the 50th anniversary of the founding of America. John Quincy Adams continued his father's work, but he rejected the idea of Unitarianism. He believed in the Trinity, and he believed Jesus was God, who came to earth to save us. In fact, he talked to his father and mother about this. One of the things he wrote to his father was, I find in the New Testament Jesus Christ accosted in his own presence by one of his disciples as God. Without disclaiming the appellation, I see him named in the great prophecy of Isaiah concerning him to be the mighty God. John Quincy Adams seemed to be a genuine Christian. He stayed in politics to fight against slavery. He ran for Congress and won. He went from being the president to then being in Congress. In Congress, he tried to negotiate deals to find ways to end slavery. He reached a point where he saw the line had been drawn. The only way that would end slavery was a civil war. The sin of slavery had not been dealt with in the founding of the nation because they were afraid it was a topic that might divide the nation. And now, just one generation later, it would destroy the nation or make it stronger. Either way, it had to be dealt with. On February 21, 1848, John Quincy Adams was in Congress, giving a speech about slavery when he suffered a stroke at his desk in the House chambers. A new junior congressman was in the Congress listening to the speech when John Quincy Adams died. He took up his call to end slavery. The young man's name was Abe Lincoln. We can end the story of John Quincy Adams by looking at one of the things that he said. The Sermon on the Mount commands me to lay up for myself treasures, not on earth, but in heaven. My hopes of a future life are all founded upon the gospel of Christ. We're going to do one more episode about the founding of America, looking at it from a woman's point of view. And then we're going to look at the French Revolution and compare it to the American Revolution. The church definitely was involved in both of the revolutions, but in a different way. In the American Revolution, Christianity was embraced. In the French Revolution, it was rejected. So how did the two revolutions compare? We're going to look at that two weeks from today. And in a few weeks after that, we're going to look at the relationship between Islam and the church at this point in time. You're not going to want to miss any of these episodes. So to make sure you don't miss these episodes, you should probably subscribe. And while you're subscribing, why don't you go ahead and leave a review? In the meantime, if you want to see more podcasts, blogs, or videos, check out my website, lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week.